Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Dr. Keith Jackson, back to be with you for a few weeks, so hopefully things are normalizing. I've got some slides up today. We to have Dr. Michael Huth with us. And uh, just to tell you a bit about Dr. Huth, Dr. Huth is a neurologist at Ned Kellingsfield Hospital and executive committee member and head of private practice portfolio at the Neurological Association of South Africa. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. It's a pleasure, Dean. Hello to you and to the listeners. Great. Thank you for coming on. So today, just to let our uh, listeners know, we're going to be starting um, a few part series with Dr. Huth talking about headaches, something that's so common and that uh, many people experience often don't know how to uh, deal with properly and something that people often want to avoid dealing with and even doctors want to avoid dealing with. So hopefully we can get some uh, insight from Dr. Huth. As I said, he's a neurologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. So what's the big deal with headaches? I mean, why, how much of a problem are they and um, why they trouble people so much? Well, Dean, I mean, headache uh, is a very, very common problem. Right now, uh, the only sexy thing to talk about in medicine on the media is COVID-19 and the pandemic. But I thought it was a good idea to discuss something that's very prevalent and um, common to all parts of medicine and to many, many patients. I mean, 3% of the adult population will consult for headache with their GP every year. And in terms of a lifetime prevalence, meaning how much a person uh, is likely to experience headache uh, in their lifetime, about 75% of individuals will experience attention-type headache, 16% migraine, and 20%, uh, 15% other types of secondary headaches from things like dehydration or not eating enough and fasting, or sinus-related disease. So it's really, really common. Um, the causes of a headache uh, are much more common uh, in the varieties such as tension headache and migraine, which are called the primary headache disorders, and much less common for more of the dangerous, sort of scary secondary causes such as bleeds in the brain, or meningitis, viral meningitis, those kind of things, bacterial um and obviously tumors and things that are growing in the brain. But the impact of headaches in general, uh, because they're so common, is really, really uh, widely felt amongst all types of people and all types of countries and all types of cultures. It really has quite a global impact. Um, for instance, uh, 4% of the population report a headache on more than 15 days of the month, with rates being even higher in women. So a lot of patients are experiencing even chronic headaches, and it's a big, big part of their lives. In terms of the World Health Organization, they rate that migraine uh, is in the top 20 in terms of what they call disability-adjusted life years, which is a measure of the degree of disability and then the time that you spend with it. And if you included other types of headaches, um, you'd likely get into the top 10 and probably in the top 5 for females. 
So it's really um, quite a disabling a condition. People just think, oh, it's just a headache. And there's often a thought amongst the public and amongst the healthcare providers that a headache is nothing special, but it is a major, major cause of disability. In terms of so migraine, you, yeah. So, you, uh, well, you said just, I mean, on that, uh, doctors, I know uh, specialists and GPs don't like tre- treating headaches. You know, they really um, find it a, a headache for themselves. So, I mean, why is that? You just mentioned on that. What, what can be done to change that? Why don't people like dealing with them? Well, Dean, that's a very good point. I mean, the truth is very few... Very few practitioners enjoy dealing with headaches or with a patient with headaches or chronic pain. And there, there's a few, there's a few sort of, um, thoughts about that. I mean, if, if you look at, uh, the, the headache sufferers, their needs are often unmet and they're quite challenging patients. Um, for example, research shows that the diagnosis of headaches is like incorrect in at least a third of cases. Um, headache will represent quite a fair proportion of patients going to GPs and also going to specialists like neurologists, and only about half of them would be satisfied with their treatment if you looked at what the research shows. Majority of people, for example, with migraine, despite the treatment of a specialist, will continue to self-medicate and use their own medications. And, and they've done a lot of study in terms of patient satisfaction where it shows that patients aren't given the opportunity to ask questions or discuss their concerns properly. They feel their condition is not fully explained. A lot of them, about a third, feel that they're disappointed with the consult. Some of them are quite confused, angry. The reasons for these failures uh, of care is not really known, but but mainly things like the mechanisms of headache are very poorly understood by healthcare practitioners. So it's hard for them to sort of um, conceptualize the disease like others that are more well explained. It's a very subjective, intermittent, and varied nature, uh, um, the problem of headache. Uh, it's There's a degree of stigmatization of the patient uh, because there's such an association with anxiety and depression. And there's really quite poor training in headache medicine across the board. Uh, specifically in undergraduates and even in postgraduate uh, neurology training, uh, it could be improved. So in conclusion, there's like quite a few barriers to addressing these like, um, needs of the headache patients. One is that, that they, uh, the patients can, don't really seek expert medical attention properly and adequately. There's lack of acknowledgement of this medical problem and the practitioners lack the time and skills to deal with the problem adequately. You know, um, from my point of view, I enjoy headache and I've got a special interest in it because I've uh, put the time in to try to develop the knowledge and skills in order to address the patient's problems. And I also have uh, a fair understanding of how to approach the patient, which I think is very important for GPs and specialists to learn. You know, for these primary headache disorders such as tension-type headache or migraine or, um, you know, cervicogenic headaches, uh, the cure is, is rarely possible. Often you don't cure the headaches and take them away completely. The aim is to try to change the sort of locus of control uh, from a situation where the headache has control over the sufferer to one where the patient has an understanding, knowledge, and uh, is empowered to take control over the headache. You know, I always talk to patients about taking the power back 
and making yourself bigger than the headache. And really, um, you know, you have to really work hard with these patients in terms of communication and um, in tough love, hand-holding, walking with them through the journey, um, letting them know that you're there for them, um, sympathy, you know, being like a witness to their suffering, which is a very important therapeutic tool. Uh, you, you acknowledge a person's pain, validate them, and you have traveled that journey together with them. I think that most patients I find deep, um, when they know that somebody's coming along the journey with them and actually lightens their load quite a bit in, um, just, just by having somebody there. Um, so you have to do a lot of follow-up, a lot of communication. You have to be there. You can't just see the patient and leave them out in the wilderness. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the approach. And that's for a lot of practitioners, I think, as you mentioned, Ian, it's quite taxing, it's quite involved, and um, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Hey, well, it seems, yeah, just as you've mentioned, it's very hard for the patient and it's very hard for the doctor. So I guess if you're not prepared to invest that time and effort um, as the doctor, then I can see why they, uh, many people don't want to treat it. So we're just going to take a short break quickly. And when we get back from the break, I want to ask you about the different types of main types of headaches. I mean, I heard that there's about 50 different types of headaches. Um, maybe you can explain for us uh, what type of headaches exist and how they're classified. We'll be back in a minute. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We're speaking to Dr. Michael Huth, specialist neurologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. We're talking about headaches. We've just been speaking about how much headaches affect people and why people don't like dealing with headaches. And now we're going to ask Dr. Huth to tell us about headaches. So as, we, as I mentioned before, and you told me that there are over 50 types of headaches, very confusing. What are the major types of headaches that people get? And how, how do you classify headaches? How do you know you, people come to you, I've got a pain in my head, um, it must be a very vague kind of symptom. How do you kind of demystify this and classify them? Classifications, that's what every medical student and doctor hates, um, but sometimes they are necessary. So, as you know, they started to sort of classify diseases by looking at symptoms and signs and then trying to see pathologically what the organs looked like after death. And then as medicine evolved, they got to looking at things like germs and bacteria, et cetera, et cetera, histological and biochemical criteria. Um, when it comes to headaches, the, the classification of many headaches is based mainly on observation of the symptoms and then in part response to specific types of treatments. And as such, many of these diagnostic categories and classifications are decided by committees that meet, you know, every once in a while at these big congresses. The International Headache Society first classification, I think, came out in the late 80s and was updated a few times. And they present the sort of formal uh, classification where they have certain criteria for you to meet to be put in a box. Now, in the real world, real time, when you're sitting in front of the patient in your rooms, it's always a good idea to separate the formal from the practical to have an understanding of the guidelines, to have an understanding of the formal, but to be more pragmatic um, and to understand that uh, you, not every patient reads the guidelines and is going to fit into those guidelines. So, for example, um, there's a big distinction when you want to classify or diagnose headaches 
between what we call a primary headache and a secondary headache. A primary headache means that there's no, um, you know, you can't demonstrate a cause. There's no cause. The headache is, is the actual disease itself, and it's not a symptom of another disease. When a headache is a secondary headache, it's a symptom of another disease process, so it has a cause. So mo- mostly I would say in primary care, going in terms of headache patients going to GPs, 95% of headaches will be primary. There won't be a cause found. 5% will be a secondary cause. The secondary obviously are easier to treat in some ways because if you correct, correct that cause and you reverse it, you can take away the headache, which, which is just a symptom of that disease. But there's a very complex interplay of genetic and contextual factors operating headache, which make primary headaches very, very difficult. So let me just go for some examples. Primary headaches would be things like migraine, tension-type headache, cluster headache, and various other sort of trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias and other types of um, diseases where the only problem is the headache itself. Secondary headaches could be headache or facial pain coming from the neck, the eyes, an eye strain, from nasal conditions like in your specialty, uh, sinus disease, dental problems or problems with the mouth, mouth problems with uh, facial cranial structure, maybe you've had some trauma to the head or neck, uh, you may have a vascular problem intracranially or a non-vascular um, problem intracranially like a growth or some sort of uh, tumor. And there are other things like substances, like using a substance or maybe you've been using something and you're withdrawing from it. So like caffeine withdrawal or a medication withdrawal, um, infections, all those kind of things. And the secondary headaches you can see, the headache is, a, is, a, is basically a symptom that if you can treat the cause, you can treat the headache. So that's primary versus secondary. That's the main sort of way of dividing headaches. And then there's obviously episodic versus chronic, which would mean the headache comes in attacks or in episodes such as migraine. Uh, or cluster headache versus more chronic uh, headaches. Chronic would be defined as more than 15 days of the month. Um, so on an ongoing basis, you could have a tension headache or you can get headaches from using too many painkillers, etc., which is called medication overuse headache. And then um, I always divide another division with my patients, which is life-threatening or dangerous cause of headache versus non-life-threatening or safe cause of headache. So sometimes you're faced with a patient across the table, and the first thing you want to do in the first 24 hours is to distinguish between what may be life-threatening and put or non-life-threatening and put them in the safe zone. And then you can work out whether they have another primary or secondary headache and how to treat it. Um, but it's very, very challenging, and we use – Mostly the history or what patients tell us, the story they tell us to try to decide uh, and classify what type of headache we're dealing with. And there are many, many times, as, I, as I've said. So you, you've mentioned now that um, that you, you take a very comprehensive history. What questions would the doctor ask or would you generally ask to help diagnose what kind of headache a person has? So... 
you want to ask a whole bunch of questions. So let me just take, for example, something like migraine, which is, a, which is probably the most common uh, headache presenting to uh, secondary-level care or specialist care. Do you, migraine, want to explain, do you want to explain exactly, maybe give us a little introduction to what a migraine is and then the questions that you yeah. ask? So migraines are classified by a cluster of different symptoms. Migraine itself is a very interesting, intricate, um, special type of neurological disease that although it does have headache as part of it, it doesn't necessarily have to have headache. And itself is, it, it is almost in its own category of neurological disease because it can affect the nervous system either with or without a headache in a very bizarre way. Really, it's, it's, it's either an episodic migraine which comes in attacks or can be chronic where it becomes more than 15 days a month. And it's a headache which often causes disability. You need to stop working, stop what you're doing, or leave school with varsity. You have to go and sort of sleep in a dark room. It's often associated with nausea and sensitivity to light and or noise. It can be a pulsating quality. It's often on one side of the head. It's unilateral, but some get, some some migraines can be bilateral. And the duration of migraines are usually said to be from a couple of hours to three days. Um, but just to tell you the, the questions, in order to tease that out of a patient uh, and put them in that box, you'd have to ask them important things. Um, for example, uh you, you, first thing you would ask them is the circumstances and the age of the onset of the headaches. So, for example, migraine invariably starts in childhood with adult life. Um, migraine clusters can also be post-traumatic headaches that can come after a person has suffered a head injury. In the uh, sort of peripartum pregnancy time, that's a very uh, hyperagable time where you have a lot of clotting. So there your headaches might be related to uh, thrombosis or clotting in the brain, in the veins of the brain, which can be quite serious. And for example, if a person's having their first headache, um, after the age of 50, that's often a secondary headache. And there we have, uh, different types of diseases like temporal arteritis, which is inflammation of the arteries around the, around the skull, which, which might be a cause. So the age of onset and how the, how the headache starts is the first question to ask when meeting the patient. Then we ask about things like the location of the headache. You know, we know that migraines and that family of headaches is quite unilateral and often on one side. Uh, cluster headache, for example, is almost always unilateral. Attention headache is usually bilateral both sides. And often sometimes focal pain can alert to the possibility of local pathology originating in the neck or somewhere around the skull. Other questions to ask are things like severity and the quality or character of the headache. So we ask patients to rate their headaches on, on pain scores and pain scales. Um, basic ones are like from 1 to 10. Um, and this can be used for both the diagnosis and for monitoring of the treatment and response to treatment. And then, you know, severity is very important because a, a tension-type headache might be quite mild. But the pain of a cluster headache is absolutely excruciating. If you think of like that ice cream headache you have when you, when you eat that cold ice cream, times that by 10 and, you know, you have that for two hours straight. It's like paralyzing patients, and uh, debilitating you. Absolutely. In fact, cluster headaches are called suicide headaches. That's the nickname because it is known to cause patients to commit suicide. 
That's how serious it is. It's actually a life-threatening headache. Patients can be seen for two hours, pacing up and down, hitting their heads against the wall. There's really, really um, excruciating pain, red-hot poker type of pain into the, around their orbit. Um, other things about the quality, like Amiga and his pulsatile tension is more like a dull ache or like a tight band around the head. Important clues about the onset of the headache are is something called a thunderclap headache. Maybe I should just tell you what a thunderclap headache is, because I think it's quite important for the listeners to know. And thunderclap headache, um, like the noise of thunder, is a headache that comes very, very quickly and within 60 seconds builds to its maximum intensity. Uh, this is a dangerous headache often that can be caused by vascular forces such as bleeds in the brain. So if someone has the worst headache they've ever had in their life and it all came about quickly within a minute, uh, it's something that should be taken very seriously like a neurological, as, as a neurological emergency. So we always taught, we teach medical students and we teach doctors that a headache that comes on suddenly and is very, very intense is a very dangerous headache. Um, the ones from meningitis or from lesions that are growing in the brain, such as tumors, are usually sort of dull, constant, um, progressively getting worse over days or weeks, worse on lying down, and they have some sort of red flags, uh, warning signs, such as the headache might be worse in the early morning because the patient has been sleeping and lying down for such a long period. They may wake the patient up from night. And there may be other signs of sort of sort of focal neurological problem. Kind of questions you should also ask are things like um, associated features. So we ask about auras and migraine. Uh, auras are usually sensory neurological phenomena that occur prior to the headache starting. Like I said, you don't actually have to have a headache with migraine. You might just have uh, what's called a migraine without headache or just the aura itself. It's usually a visual aura. Flashing lights, spots, zigzags, or loss of the visual field. You can have a sensory aura in terms of on the skin, like on your face, can start tingling or go numb, your lips, your tongue, your hand, your arm. You can even have um, motor deficits where you go weak. Uh, and this week I actually admitted a patient into ICU that thought he had a stroke, but he had a, a severe migraine aura where he actually goes completely confused and unable to speak and uh, almost almost unconscious for a period of about 48 hours. So migraine aura is quite, uh, can be quite um, an ex- sort of extensive and significant neurological um, presentation. What, what actually um, happens in the brain during this migraine aura that, that cre- I mean, it seems like it's so variable that uh, different parts of the body and different things can happen. What um, we can, I know we'll do a separate show just on migraines, but what actually happens in the body that produces this order? Do we know? It's very, very technical. Um, So we'll leave that discussion for another show. But just to say that there are certain parts of the brain involved in migraine that inside the brain that undergo a type of spreading depression of uh, neuronal activity. And during that time, uh, there's a um, response of overactivation after the depression. And during that time is when you uh, experience the aura. And once that settles down is when the headache follows. It uh, is, is very closely linked between the neuronal activity in the brain and also the blood supply to that area. 
And it's a very big part of migraine and headache research at the moment to try and understand because the auras are a fascinating part of neurology. The one key factor or difference between an aura and the neurological symptoms you get from a stroke is that an aura for migraine is usually positive sensory symptoms. So you see like flashing lights or you get tingling, etc. But a stroke sensory symptoms are more negative, which means more loss of vision and loss of sensation, loss of numbers. So if somebody has positive symptoms, more likely aura and negative symptoms are more likely from a stroke. And usually, obviously, the auras we know last between sort of 10 to 30 minutes can be up to 60 minutes, whereas a stroke is much more persistent and longer. Okay, so we're going to take another short uh, break, and when we come back, we're going to carry on talking about uh, your approach to um, diagnosing headaches, and then we'll speak a bit about the treatment. We'll be back in a minute. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson. We are speaking to Dr. Michael Huth. Specialist neurologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital. We're talking about headaches. This is the first in a few part series and we just were talking about uh, what Dr. Huth does and what doctors do to diagnose uh, headaches, their steps that they would take, what they would ask. So, um, do you want to carry on from where you are? We're talking about migraines or questions you're asked to kind of uh, differentiate um, what headache the patient actually has. Yes, so, I mean, the, the process of diagnosing a headache really is done on the history of the patient. Most patients, when you examine them with headaches, are not going to have all kinds of weird and wonderful neurological signs, and then they're going to have a normal neurological examination. They're going to come with head pain, and you wouldn't be able to tell them on the examination any, any different from a normal patient. You know, they did study and research on, on interactions between doctors and patients to show the average time that a patient's allowed to talk before the doctor interrupts him is 18 seconds. And if the doctor didn't interrupt him, it would be 150 seconds. So I think the first thing that, that, that we try to do in headache medicine is we try to actually shut up and not talk and let the patient talk and listen. So listen to the patient and let them tell you their story. Uh, and then you can guide them to all the sort of um, information you need out of them. Um, Really, sometimes if, there, if there's some difficulty, I, I will bring on some charts or some headache sort of impact scoring systems and the patient help with that. I ask all my patients to keep a headache diary, uh, which is very informative. And nowadays we use a headache app. So if you know any patients who have headaches who've been with me for the last 18 months to two years, we, we use a headache app called Migraine Buddy, which is world famous and is superb. I mean, they can record all kinds of information there on a daily basis. You can even email it to me at any time and keep in contact with me. Um, you know, we write clear and sort of um, structured strategic management plans for the patient. Um, I sort of show them and direct them to educational material and support groups. Um, and like I said before, I um, hold their hand and go along the journey with them so they know that somebody is there. Really, again, just the important questions, location, age of onset and how it came about, severity and quality, associated features, 
precipitating or exacerbating factors, what relieves the headache. You know, we know that lying in a dark room relieves migraines. Um, we know that sometimes attention to headache can be relieved by either relaxation or even sometimes exercise. I always ask them about their family history because there's a strong family history, for example, with migraine. About 50% of migraineurs, people with migraine, will have a parent, and 80% will have some first-degree relative with migraine. So I always ask about family history. I need to ask about their social and employment history because stressful life events cause headaches. Obviously, alcohol, smoking, drugs, all that might be sort of significant. Um, and then I ask about their medication use and their past headache history. And very important is their analgesic use and their use of anti-inflammatory drugs, etc., and over-the-counter medications, which is a very, very big factor in, in managing headaches. Okay, so um, can we talk a bit about um, the workup or what tests do you need to do for these sure. patients? So once you've taken the history, you're almost certain that you could start to put the patient into a diagnosis. Like I said, mostly your examination is going to be normal, and then you're going to decide what tests you want to do. Um, really, the tests are done usually to exclude secondary causes or secondary headaches. So if you're worried about sinuses, eye strain, dental problems, you think something's happening inside the brain or with the neck, then you need the tests to show what the problem is. Sometimes the tests are done to reassure both the patient and doctor, and that can be not only an investigation but a form of treatment because once the patient gets reassured, a lot of stress is released and you can even diffuse the headache sometimes. Um, I think that the main sort of tests we usually do in private practice in private sector in South Africa are MRIs and CAT scans. The CT scan, which is an older sort of um, less specific test uh, in terms of looking at detailed structures within the brain, is probably best after trauma or if you're looking for a bleed, because it's quite sensitive to pick up blood, and it's good for, obviously, um, looking at the bones to pick up fractures. But if you're not dealing with that kind of um, situation, then an MRI is called for. And uh, really, the MRI will show you all kinds of structures of the brain, including you can include arteries and veins and the clots and the blockages and look for abnormalities in the, in the, in the vascular structures. And it's quite a, it's quite an extensive test and often provides a lot of relief in terms of enabling the doctor to take that patient and put them in what we call the safe zone. Once they are feel like they're in the safe zone, kind of breathe a sigh of relief and you can move on in terms of your diagnostic journey and trying to help the patient. Sometimes if you're considering certain um, diseases such as meningitis or infections or in cephalitis, you might want to do a lumbar puncture. A lumbar puncture might also be used to measure pressure of the fluid in the brain, which can sometimes be raised in certain conditions and cause headaches. So that is a um, procedure that's often done on a day admission to hospital. And then there's some blood tests we do. We do sort of blood tests. We look at sort of all kinds of Rarer, that sort of secondary causes of headaches such as anemia or infections. We can look at um, kidney function because if you can go into kidney failure, it can cause a headache. 
We can use it to look at your calcium levels, your thyroid, because sometimes thyroid disease or sort of underactive thyroid can be associated with headaches. We might look at the autoimmune status or clotting abnormalities. So a blood test might be called for, and it depends really on the patient. If a patient comes to you with a um, history of a headache every day for 15 years, it's very unlikely that there's anything growing or very sort of um, pathological happening, occurring inside that brain because it doesn't sit around for 15 years every day. Uh, it would have affected the patient in a much more severe manner much earlier. So those kind of patients, are, we are less likely to scan early compared to a 60-year-old with a new onset headache of two weeks who never had a headache before in their life. So really it depends on the patient and the clinical setting, um, how extensive we are and how quick we are and aggressive we are with our investigations. Um, yeah. Okay. So on, on an MRI, would you see something of a patient had a cluster headaches or cluster headaches or migraines, or would that MRI just, as you said, be there to put them into a safe zone? So that's a very good question. So that's where it's very important for, um, you know, to, to develop in terms of expertise and knowledge about headaches. For example, there are certain imaging findings or permanent changes in the brain that may be associated with headaches such as migraine or cluster. And that would, ro- would sort of revolve around certain types of spots that we see in the, in the deep um, brain tissue that uh, could mimic tiny little tiny strokes where little blood vessels have closed off and caused a little spot of dead brain tissue. It's very tiny. Now, we can find those spots also in patients that have um, an extensive history of migraine as well. So it's very important to know that it's, a, it, it's quite a common cause for finding those type of spots in a younger patient who doesn't have the typical stroke risk factors such as blood pressure, smoking, or diabetes, etc. So there are changes that do occur in the brain on MRI in primary headache disorders, um, but often, especially specifically in the common things like tension-type headache, the brain scan is completely normal. Okay, so that I guess it gives you answers like that you've ruled out um, certain things, but then you need to carry on looking. But you said you've already placed them probably into a box from your um, history. So what are your basic approaches to treatment now that you've kind of got an idea of uh, what kind of headache the patient has? Well, we will talk more about different uh, the treatments of different um, common headaches, hopefully in the, in the future sessions. But just to say in the general sort of, um, way we look at treatment of headache is that we divide it into what's called acute or abortive treatment or therapy. So that would be things that you would take, uh, medications you would take, uh, or procedures you would undergo in order to stop a headache that's happening. And there, you know, you have to look at things like the speed of onset of the treatment, its effectiveness of pain relief, um, how much the headache would come back after you stop that treatment, and then obviously the side effects and how easy it is to administer the treatment. Um, and there we look at sort of, you know, the outcome measures of things like a uh, portion of attacks that are stopped. So how easy and how many migraines or this type of headache can you stop with the such and such a therapy? So that's like the acute abortive therapy. 
Um, and then there's preventive therapy, which will be something that the patient would take every day, even on non-headache days, in order to prevent headaches from coming on. And there you want to basically decrease the number of headaches or attacks over a specific period, for example, a month or six months. And the third thing is, uh, yeah, I would say placebos and understanding the placebo effect um, because in headache medicine, placebos often activate similar pain-modulating brain structures as the actual active drugs. So it's quite important to understand placebo effect and then lifestyle changes, which we can discuss in the future. Okay, we're going to take another short break, and uh, when we get back, we'll be talking about the common question of uh, how do I know that I don't have a brain tumor? We'll be back in a moment. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Burson. We are talking to Dr. Michael Huth, specialist neurologist at Netcare Linksfield Hospital, and we are speaking about the fascinating subject of headaches. We, in a show just introducing us to the top of headache, the uh, show introducing us to the topic of headaches. And uh, so someone comes in and they've got a crazy headache, a terrible headache. I think a lot of people worry they've got a brain tumor. Maybe that's be, uh, in every subconscious or someone knows someone had a brain tumor or they saw it in a movie. So uh, everybody's worried about their brain tumor. Is it a realistic worry? What percentage of patients with headaches will have brain tumors or something sinister? Well, that's a really, very good question, Dean. And I think everyone's now getting used to looking at medical statistics and all kinds of epidemiological sort of facts and statistics around COVID so they understand these things. And the chances of a person who's coming to a doctor with a headache only and no other symptoms or signs having a brain tumor is extremely low, very, very low. For example, I mean, they've done studies on on groups of, of headache patients that are that number like in the thousands, and they find only a handful of patients with serious uh, brain tumors. So the, the, the chance of having a, a brain tumor, um, if, you, if you only have a headache and you don't have any other clinical signs, and you sort of, in the primary care population, I mean you're going to your GP, is somewhere around 0.06%. So that's 6 out of 10,000. Yeah, 6 out of 10,000. If you're in the population that's like a neurologist or in a, in a in sort of specialist, it's a little bit higher. It's probably about 6 in 1,000, but still very low. Um, and that's that's not just for tumors. That's for any sort of serious intracranial pathology. So tumors will be probably even lower than that. Um, one thing we should understand is that um, I would say that the chances of developing a brain tumor, you know, the prevalence, lifetime prevalence of, of tumors is somewhere around 0.5%. So one in 200 of, of your lifetime of developing that type of, of illness. Um of the patients who do have tumors, about 70% do actually have a headache at some point, but the presenting symptom is not usually headaches. Actually, brain tumors, if you ask most neurosurgeons and neurologists, they present with other things like seizures or weakness or change in personality or loss of smell, as you know, as an ENT. And the actual headaches, probably only about 10% of brain tumors, 10 to 15% present with headaches. But the headaches might come later on in the disease. 
think what you have to understand is that a headache is taken as serious usually when it shows one of what we call the red flags. The red flags might be something that happens on the history or the story of the patient, or it might be something that the doctor sees on his examination. And things like if you have an alteration in your consciousness or a change in your personality or you get confused or you're uncoordinated or weak and you have a headache, that is usually a serious cause. Or if you have a new onset, a new epileptic seizure together with a headache um, or a history of cancer somewhere else in your body like you're known with breast cancer or lung cancer and you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s and then you develop a headache. Those are serious things. Those patients need to be scanned because often the cause is more serious, like, for example, tumors, etc. Um, you know, headaches that are associated with a lot of vomiting, nausea, new headaches in patients that are older, over the age of 50 or 60, and like I said before, headaches that are early morning headaches or waking the patient from sleep. Okay, so I mean, most of the time when they're being referred to, people shouldn't be worried. So when, when should they worry? You've mentioned a, a few things. When should a person worry about a headache? When do you think it's time so, to seek medical advice for um, having a headache? So I really think that um, everybody needs to be aware of the symptoms which could be a neurological emergency, just like they're becoming more and more aware of symptoms that may be, for example, a heart attack or a stroke. You need to be aware of when a headache might be serious. Like I said before, if it's associated with other types of neurological um, symptoms, such as problems with your, you know, consciousness level, memory, confusion, seizure, if you have weakness of the arm or other types of neurological symptoms, then it's serious. If it happens like a thunderclap, meaning you have a very intense headache, maybe the worst headache you've ever experienced in your life, and it can upon you very quickly like somebody hitting you in the back of the head with a bat, i.e. it can within seconds, that could be a serious sign because that could be a vascular cause, which is a bleed in the brain or a clot or something like that. If you're having a severe headache associated with a fever and your neck is very stiff and you have uh, photophobia or you're very sensitive to light, that may be um, symptoms of a meningitis. Um, now, anybody is going to have a fever from the flu or from uh, gastroenteritis. You may have a headache associated. You may have body aches and pains with the fever and you have a headache. So you have to distinguish between something that is a headache that's quite progressive and serious with a fever as opposed to the general sort of headache you get with any type of infection. And... Um, yeah, so that's, those, those are sort of the main, the main worrying signs and symptoms of a headache. And when should people seek medical advice um, if they are having a headache? When should they see their doctor if it's happening every day or if it's happening more than once a day or if it's happening once a week? When, when is a good time uh, to go to the doctor and when, when should we go? Okay, so obviously those, those, those emergency types of signs go straight away to the doctor. Other, other patients... Um, should usually seek medical help once the headache is interfering with your function. So really, we often find that patients end up coming to the GP or the primary care level of doctor once they find that the headache is interfering with their quality of life and their functionality. That might be at work. It might be with their relationships. It might be with... Um, 
it, it might be with uh, their the ability to to perform tasks or typical daily living, and that's usually when they come. And that's not specific for every it's different for everybody. It's very for everybody, and it really depends on the patient. Um, certainly, a in terms of migraine, which is one of the commonest headaches, we would not be looking at actively intervening or treating a patient who has one migraine per year. But a patient who's a very high-level um, functioning person who can't afford to be off work, who has one migraine per month, might need treatment, active treatment, and quite aggressive treatment. Um, so it, it's, it, it really depends on the impact. You know, 50% of patients with migraine feel like they're more likely to argue with their partners and children because of their, their disease. And um, almost 90% feel that they can't do household work and chores, which is very important uh, because of because of, of, of headaches. We have roughly half of them think, you know, that they, they, they're, they're often missing, like, social and family gatherings, and they, like, avoid making plans with their friends, etc. So when those kind of things happen, um, it's best to seek care. And I would recommend you attend to your general practitioner and discuss with them whether a neurological referral is appropriate or not. Okay. And uh, in general, when people are having headaches at home, some of the medications that they take um, over the counter, is it problematic to treat your own headaches at home, taking Well, as you know, you might have heard in the news before we entered into the pandemic, which overtook the media and the news, is that there's something called the opioid crisis. Uh, and the opioid crisis is basically the prescribing of opioid medications, painkiller medications, painkillers to, to people, and they become addicted to the medication and causes them severe harm. Um, really, I do not prescribe any painkillers in my practice. I don't prescribe any analgesics or any anti-inflammatories ever. Most of my work is involving taking people that are dependent on these medications off the medication in order to allow other medication to work on their pain systems. So there's no real role in chronic pain or chronic headaches for painkillers. In fact, the painkillers will go into the body, will make the pain systems very difficult to treat and disturb everything and create their own um, pain syndromes in order to get the person to continue taking the painkillers. And hopefully we'll have a chance in another, another series to talk about what we call medication overuse headaches, where patients are taking either too many anti-inflammatories, either too many migraine relievers, or actual painkillers and analgesics. But there is really very little role, uh, if any, of painkillers in chronic pain. Great if you have acute pain. You've had an injury or you've had an operation or you, you, uh, you have a headache once every three months or six months. It's fine to take two panado or two still pain. But they become big problems when they get taken by patients who are having headaches almost every day or having a lot of migraines. And they, and they really, they really interfere with the treatment. Wow, this is fascinating 
stuff. And I mean, we've really just uh, scratched the surface. So I'm so glad that you've agreed to do a series with us on the different types of headaches because I think we underestimate the morbidity that it has on uh, on society. If people want to get hold of you, how do they get hold of uh, what are your room's numbers or should they email you? What's the best way to get an appointment with you? So I'm very contactable and easily accessible on, on email. My email address for my practice is Huth, my surname, H-U-T-H dot neurology at gmail.com. Alternatively, they can call my rooms on 011-647-3559 and book an appointment. Can you just repeat that number for us? 011-647-3559. Thanks so much. Dr. Huth, you've been amazing. Really appreciate you taking out your time to to talk to us about headaches, and I look very forward to the next few sessions that we're going to have over the next uh, few weeks and months. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on 101.9 High FM, Discam Medical Monday. Remember, stay safe, and we will see you next week.